Hello and welcome. My name is Joe Frost and here with my co-host Peter Linus, this is Being Human. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> We're back again. So in the last episode, we teed things up. We said we have a book. We tease people. Very exciting. It is very exciting. We're getting ever closer. We were together yesterday with our editors. That was fun. We were having fun on the book. I know yeah. this will come later, but it's getting ever closer. So we will continue to say more about it and tease more about the book. It is called Being Human because we're that original. That much we can tell you. <laughs> you can uh, pre-order it already on Amazon. That's very exciting. Yes. By the time you see this, we'll have agreed a cover that we're currently arguing about. That's exciting too. <laughs> Not the arguing, the agreement. We're looking forward to the agreement. The agreement. We're all about agreement. We love agreement, except for <laughs> things that we disagree about. But we, we do it agreeably, right? We do it agreeably. I just did a seminar on that. I'm not sure how agreeable I was, but it was fun. So we did look last time at the story clash where we disagree together with culture yes. at times. Yes. Yeah. So we did. We looked at some of those big stories and we'll pick those themes up again. We talked about our favorite Django blocks. Yes. You and your colored uh, chalky. They they cover us in chalk paint because you did it yourself. But they're very cool. This Jenga tower that we are constructing our stories and our lives on that is constantly getting more and more unstable as our stories fragment and personalize and it leaves us in a fairly chaotic and fragile state. It does. As a culture at large, that's not just a therapy session for Joe. <laughs> and ultimately we land on, we will continue to drive around this Imago Day language. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to represent, to reflect the image of God into our culture and how we navigate that? And I suppose some people like a thesis statement, some people don't. <laughs> I mark essays and I'm always saying to students, Tell me your thesis statement up front and then make the case for it. But our thesis, you could say, is the cultural stories are weaker than we think and the God story is stronger than we think. And that's our witness from talking to people. People think, oh, these cultural stories are really dominant. They're really strong. They're kind of overwhelming. And actually, when we pull them apart and really look at them, so actually, they don't cohere in the way they claim and they don't stand up to scrutiny to the same degree. And then I think often as Christians, we're on the back foot thinking, oh, it's just my personal faith and it's just this little thing. And I don't know if it's going to hold up. And you're actually going, no, this is the story of the whole world. It is a robust, coherent story of reality. And it is way stronger than we think. And thank goodness, because that's what we're putting our faith and our confidence in. Yeah. And so that's really, I suppose, what we have been doing all along with this podcast is trying to uh, help us pay attention to some of those dehumanizing aspects of the cultural stories that were around, whether they are little mini stories that pop up in our news feeds or in the headlines or some of those longer term trends that we may be noticing. And all the while, build confidence and understanding around how the God story invites us into a fuller, deeper, richer understanding of what it means to be human. And we do that critically through the Being Human Lens. The which solution will... <laughs> to all our problems, apparently. <laughs> no, 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 we're not underselling. We're underselling. But that is, uh, the lens is something you can see, yes, in the book. You'll see it on the website. You'll see it everywhere. We'll be talking lots more about it. And why a lens, Joe? Why a lens? <laughs> well, I, we use lenses 
everywhere and we use them all the time. I am blind as bat. Uh, I have to wear contact lenses, otherwise I can't see things literally in front of my face. I can't recognize my own kids. I have to see the world through a lens. Every now and then, when the sun is shining, we get to put sunglasses on. We get to filter our vision through lenses. Sometimes they help us see, sometimes they distort our vision. But lenses are in use all the time. And then we use figurative lenses. We may use a political lens to view the world in terms of left or right politics. We may use an economic lens to understand finances and market forces and capitalism. We use lenses in our worldviews and in our stories as much as in our day-to-day encounters. So we use the being human lens. What is our world and our lives uh, showing us and teaching us about what it means to be human? And how do we understand the world we're looking at in terms of our humanity? And we're anchoring that in in Psalm 8, in verse 4, the psalmist ponders that question, that profound question, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? And so that's kind of like right at the core of our lens, right in the very centre of it. And around that, we are exploring four aspects of humanity, significance, connection, presence, and participation. And we're going to unpack a little bit more about those today, what we think those mean. And the Being Human Lens is is a way of helping us see the stories around us, how they affect who we are and how we view ourselves and others. And then also reflecting the God story and looking at the God story into what it means to be human. We recognise that actually so many of our cultural stories will talk about aspects of this. So significance often hints around conversations around identity or participation speaks about power or um, around our, our making a difference in our activism within the world or connection talks about our ideas around our relationships and justice and peace. But each of these stories, when they're held in part, they only share a fraction or a fragment of what it means to be human. We talk about it as being like shards of glass, broken mirror that you can hold in your hand and still see a true reflection of who you are. And yet it is only in part. It is not the fullness. And actually, when you grasp a broken mirror in your hand, its edges are sharp and broken. So they hurt us. They injure us. It's only when they are placed back into the fullness of that full mirror reflection as we reflect God's likeness and God's character that we're able to perceive ourselves and the world around us in the fullness and the beauty and the goodness of what it truly means to be human. And in some ways, it'd be so much easier if the cultural stories were just all negative and we could say, well, they're all problematic, but it's the complexity, as you say, is they draw so heavily from aspects of Christianity and the complication is just trying to navigate our way through that. Because the Christian story is a deep revelation about how all of reality, including us as human beings, exist in God. And it's more, though, than just a revelation, wonderful as that is, it is then the invitation into new humanity that's found in Jesus, an invitation into that truly the good, true and beautiful story of significance, of connection, of presence and participation. And that for us is what it means to be human. 
And I think that's probably been one of my most favorite bits of the project of looking at Jesus and the stories that we see, the encounters that we hear, the New Testament readings, the Old Testament predictions and prophecies around who Jesus is and seeing in this single life the fullness of humanity modeled and invited so that we too can share that new humanity in Christ. It's the looking at Jesus to show us what it means to be truly, fully human that has been uh, so rewarding for me over the last couple of years of just calling me back again and again to say the life Jesus lived and the life Jesus offers me is truly the greatest gift. So I know you could keep going. There. So so we have that very light sort of like it's culture, then it goes through, then we're absolutely focusing on Jesus and we're at the invitation into new humanity. And so we're going to kind of look through these four bits of the lens. This is crazy ambitious moment because <laughs> we're about to go to significance first. And we're going to like try and wrestle with each of these and give you, our listeners, an insight into what we've been away kind of thinking about. So first up is sourcing our significance in a secular age, Joe, tell us why we're starting there, what that's about. Well, I mean, I have always grown up with the adverts by a famous cosmetic brand telling us all that we are worth it. Some beautiful woman with a lot of makeup, pretending not to be wearing any makeup whatsoever, looking directly at the camera and telling in some soft, husky voice that you are worth it. Uh, there is this sense that we have a significance. Our lives are important. It matters that you are here now in this world living life. There is an importance around being human. And L'Oreal, the cosmetic brand, has been telling us for years, reminding us of this truth. And yet it really struggles to tell us why. Am I worth it simply because Kate Winslet or um, Helen Mirren? Helen Mirren. Is it because they tell us that we're worth it? Is that a sufficient uh, foundation on which to build our entire sense of self and our entire identity? No, probably not. So instead, we have to go out and we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I root my sense of significance in? Uh, and we would suggest there's often a couple of storylines floating around. One of them is the earn it storyline. All about achievement, all about looking for the approval of others. We have to earn our sense of significance. We have to prove ourselves to others. And therefore, we're always looking to them to tell us why we're significant fundamentally. Yeah. Did I did I earn enough? Did I do enough? Did I achieve enough? Do I have the right house, the perfect partner on my arm? Am I kind enough? Am I whatever. And it's always an evaluative space. Have I achieved what is necessary to give my sense of self enough validation? The alternative to the earn it storyline is the be it storyline. It's not about what other people say about me. It is about the truth of myself, my projection. It doesn't matter what other people say about me. I'm here, I'm loud, I'm proud. And if you've got a problem, the problem's with you. So we'll see that in some of the body positivity narratives that are emerging that says, I don't have to conform to whatever society says is a thin and beautiful body. I can be proud of my body, wear whatever I like, 
because this is me and I'm going to project myself in it. The challenge with that is it's an awful responsibility to carry on oneself the full burden of self-justification. And actually, in the quiet and in the still and in the loud, so many of us are plagued with self-doubt, anxiety, insecurity, social difficulties, because we're constantly being told, you do you, without any support to understand what you means. And so the Be It storyline collapses under its own weight too. So earn it, be it, two massive storylines. Loads more we could say about that. Hey, guess what? You should get our book where we do say anyway. (laughs) No, so we've got a, and in our kind of structuring of this and understanding, the reason we've said sourcing our significance in a secular age is when we reject God, we reject some of these overarching storylines. There's tremendous pressure on us as individuals to build those stories up. And so in our kind of ginormous game of Jenga, we're pulling at some of these bottom blocks in, in the Jenga game. These are about stories of uncertainty, the idea that belief is up for grabs and the pressure is on us. And so the consequences of that, we would say, and we realize we're kind of putting a lot of info together here and ideas, but we think, look, the secular age is a contested age. Everybody's beliefs are up for grabs. You just jump on social media for 30 seconds and you just see how contested it is. It's incredibly complex and connected. The Suez Canal, one ship gets turned and gets blocked and suddenly the just-in-time supply lines globally are all over the place. We're all going, where's my Amazon delivery? And it's incredibly fragile as we bump through these crises. Um, I love a line from a guy called Charles Taylor, believers are tempted to doubt and doubters are tempted to believe. So I've found that more and more of my friends Believers are tempted to doubt. So people who've had faith journeying that for a long, long time are suddenly much more paralyzed by moments of doubt and pushback. But also on the positive, doubters are tempted to believe. People are more open to a spiritual experience. They want something more, something that kind of transcends and cuts through. And so this is part of the navigation of living in a secular space. And I think that's the bit that we've landed on the most around this conversation around sourcing our significance is the the lack of knowing. We are in an age of unknowing. We are not certain about any of our beliefs. Everything is questioned and questionable. And again, if we're throwing out our favorite quotes, Tim Keller famously wrote, to be loved and not known is the worst kind of superficiality. To be known but not loved is our deepest fear. And it's that idea that says, who knows you? Who knows you well enough to say that you matter, that you are important, uh, who can't take that significance away because you failed to live up to somebody else's expectations or that you fail to project the right identity, the true knowing of yourself. And actually, we would source our significance not in what other people say about us, not even in what we say about ourselves, but our significance is received. It is the signifier that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We share his likeness, his character. We matter because we matter to the God who made us, who knows us, who loves us fully and declares that we are important 
to him. Yes, we can be fully known. And then we look to Jesus who draws a sense of significance from the Father and relationship with the Father. Our significance, like Jesus, is received from God. Our identity is found in Christ. And then we are invited, because it doesn't just stop there, as image bearers, to reflect who God is back into creation. To be human is to know God, to be fully known by God, but then to make him known. And out of that flows our sense of identity and who we are, this deep sense of dignity that we have, and we can articulate that into our culture. And the reality is that equality and all those things flow from everybody being a divine image bearer and being known by God. That's kind of the first fragment of the lens, the first aspect of that significance. Then we go to connection connection so not only do you matter but very quickly when it comes to a conversation about what it means to be human we have to move from an i conversation to a we conversation because we matter to each other no man is an island everybody is connected everybody's humanity is interconnected so what is this thing called relationships to connection uh, to relating well to each other and to the world around us one of the places we find that really interesting to wrestle with, a little and challenging, is, is around artificial intelligence and what that's going to do to relationships and connection. So we said, I think in the last episode, we spent some time with Professor John Wyatt and, and, and others reading around this, but the two things he talked about is its power to persuade. We said this, imagine getting your own talks or sales pitch or sermons or anything played back at you. Of course, you're going to find that persuasive, but it's also going to build pseudo-intimacy and imagine that some people are going to have best friends. We've talked about relationships elsewhere, but just even now for friendship, imagine your best friend becomes an AI because it knows you so well and engages. And just trying to process where the world's going in that. And I suppose for us then reflecting back, the importance of being relational beings, what that means to fundamentally as human beings be relationally connected beings. And so we've explored that story of expressive individualism. So we said under significance, if we look at the uh, story of secularism, it says there is no God. It kind of pushes back and it's much more contested set of beliefs. So we turn inwards. We become the dominant source of our identity. It's all about me. It's stories of who I am. I need to be authentic to myself. But in that, the primary unit of concern becomes me and it puts stresses and strains in our ability to connect and relate to one another. And so that we're trying to explore our cultural stories around the turn inward. Yeah, because that turn inward puts me at the center of my world, which means all the relationships in my orbit are all orientated towards me. There is a instant power imbalance. Instantly, if I am the center, everything else is subject to me. So what I want out of a relationship, what I need out of a relationship becomes the primary concern. And so self-satisfaction and self-projection quickly descends into self-preservation. And we end up having to look after ourselves, uh, main character energy and girl bossing and all of that, those sort of commentary that we're hearing coming out of society at the moment is saying, I have to look after number one, because no one else is going to. If I'm not protecting myself who am I going to rely on? So relationships, instead of becoming generous, kind, and mutually beneficial, they become self-orientated and self-serving. And we wonder why so many of our friendships, our relationships, don't know how to carry the cost 
of care and of vulnerability because we're always having to look after ourselves because we can't trust anybody else to. And so we see this wonderful connection point because we can see that we're wired for relationships. We want relationships, but we're struggling to have good relationships. And we see the fear sometimes in another thing. So, you know, for us at the heart of this, the God story is saying we're made in the image of relational God. We are relational beings. And, and that's a connection point actually into our culture. So we're wired for connection. But this is a story of love and a love that drives out fear. We see in Jesus, somebody who loved us so much, he gives everything for us. And so in that moment, the, the, the wonderful story of the, the prodigal and, and the father standing with his arms open wide, welcoming us into the new humanity. And so again, Jesus is both the model and the means into those connections and the relationships because relationships are tough and they're hard, but we are wired for it. So we want to bridge that connection point. And again, signpost of the God story, what Jesus is modeling for us, the true and full human being that we see in Jesus and his invitation into new humanity. So if we move beyond connection, we will end up not just in these disembodied conceptual relationships, but in a presence uh, here, now, connected uh, close to each other. To be human is to be present in a place, in a time and in a body. We are having so many conversations around the embodied temporal proximate nature of being human. That conversation is bubbling up everywhere, which leads us onto one of your favourite conversations, Peter. What do you spend your time chatting about on social media? <laughs> Lots of things, Joe, but I think you're teaming up to say, what is a woman in that question? <laughs> I mean, you could, as we said, we could go to AI, we could go to creation care. There's so many ways this bubbles up. The most obvious presenting one is the conversation that J.K. Rowling and Sharon Davies in terms of sport are talking about and asking this really fundamental question. What is a woman? What is a human being within that? It's, it's impacting women's sports. It's impacting kind of safety and the laws around that. It's impacting, this is the gotcha question for politicians. Um, and it's impacting kids and schools and policymakers. Everybody's going, I don't know what to do. Like this is everywhere. This is bubbling up all over the place. Uh, and it is such an interesting question goes because it does go to the heart of what it means to be human and the, the importance of our bodies in that moment and wrestling with that conversation. And there is a kind of deconstructing and a postmodern turn that says, look, we can just deconstruct and get rid of everything. We don't like the binaries. We don't like the hierarchical power structures. But there comes a point where you've deconstructed everything where we're at the fundamentals of we don't know what a male and a female is anymore. We don't actually know what it is to be human in our culture. We're struggling to answer those pretty profound questions. And that's a real problem. Um, it is destabilizing, it's fragmenting, and it's separating mind, body, soul, us from our physicality and the realities of who we are. And what felt like a relatively niche corner of some random argumentative Twitter sphere a few years ago is now... It's now not just an intellectual gotcha conversation that people can tie themselves up in knots over. These are conversations live around our teenagers and our kids, for our athletes, for our politicians, for our lawmakers, for our doctors. Um, it isn't just a, a philosophical question that needs to be debated and 
turned over. This is language. This is meaning. This is communication. This is behavior. This is social interaction. Our body and our physicality and our sense of self projected into the world has immediate and definite impact. We are not disembodied creatures just projecting our consciousness into the ether. Uh, We are finite temporal beings in and of the world. And when we tie ourselves up in these intellectual arguments, we realize that this actually has profound implications to the way we live our lives and interact with each other. And that's why it's feeling so contested, because everyone is suddenly realizing, oh, my goodness, this is my life we're arguing about here. And it really matters. Yeah, there's an absolutely bumping of the kind of ideology and the ideas with reality. As you said, I, you know, my favorite line on this is, you know, we can, you can, you have your truth and I have my truth, but then we get to a kind of court case or a contested moment and you can't stand up and say, I swear to tell the truth, my truth and nothing but my post-truth perspective. We can't have variations on the truth when we're trying to find a justice moment or what actually happened in a situation. So we get the clash, we get the bump. And so we are saying to be human is to be embodied in a particular time and place. That is what the God story is telling us. We are present here and now. The opening chapters of the God story place us in creation. The whole of creation is God's temple, a holy place filled with his presence. And it wasn't just to be this limited building. and We are sent out into the world. So Jesus shows up in a particular time and place. He comes incarnate. The carnivores know, ah, meet it. Yes, in flesh. That's what it's trying to tell us, the divine in a skin. And he comes and abolishes the need to come and worship in this particular time and place, the temple. He redefines that. He's extending our reach. He's coming to bring the kingdom. You know, and I could both go on about this for so long. You know, we're excited, we're excited about the king and his kingdom coming. And ultimately, he's commissioning us into a new humanity and releasing us back out into the world to partner with him and to be part of his presence to the world around us. So in other words, the invitation into the new humanity is not some great escape where we're trying to flee the flawed and fragile aspects of our bodies and this world. We don't just give it up and jump on a cloud and disappear into the ether somewhere. Actually, God's creation is good and he poured his life into it and his glory covers it. We are embodied creatures and God considered that to be so significant that he took on a body. Our bodies are not something to be dismissed or ignored, but they are some things to be stewarded, cared for, and are there to demonstrate the glory of who God is and who he made us to be. So to be human is to be present, to be near, to be made holy uh, in a time and in place and in a body. Significance, connection, presence. We're doing, you're doing well here, Joe. You're doing well. The last one, we are on to participation because we are human beings. We love that in the Being Human Project, but we want to acknowledge we are human doings as well. To be human is to do stuff, to participate. We have power. We have freedom. We have the ability to have an impact on the world around us. We have a sense of purpose. And that is being deeply challenged in this crazy, chaotic crisis moment that we're living in. Yeah. And I think it's really important to point out at this moment that we come to participation deliberately last. 
in our conversations, it's so easy to ask, what does it mean to be human, to instantly go to, what do you do? What impact are you going to have in the world? What is your purpose? What is the meaning of your life? We instantly go to activity. But actually, for us, the activity is the outworking of who we are and who we are created to be. So it it comes as massively blended into this idea of what does it mean to be human, but it can't be the foundation. It is the execution of it. Now, having said that, because we often come to this conversation around participation in a backwards order, we find ourselves asking questions about what we do before we ask questions about who we are. And I think that is what our society is living at the moment, because so much of our behavior is attached to our sense of self, which means we just end up in chaos because everybody is defining and acting themselves according to their own rules. That brilliant line in judges, everybody just did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And that's the world that we live in. And we see chaos. Oh my goodness, we're seeing chaos absolutely everywhere. We could put nearly any storyline in here, couldn't we? We, Like we've talked about Russia in the last episode. That's absolutely one. You know, we're in a cost of living crisis. We're in a political crisis. I don't think we really need to make the case that we're in a chaotic, permanent state of crisis and these interconnected crises. So in our Jenga game, you've got the top heavy tower, all the storylines are combined. We've got the bit at the top. It's about to wobble. It feels like it's about to fall over. And the impact on that is we've got this kind of restlessness as the stories bump into each other and compete, it's like relentless. I mean, everybody I talk to feels this kind of relentless pressure coming. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's coming next. It's changing so quickly. As soon as you say something, you're already out of date in your response to that. And it's just simply overwhelming and exhausting. Yeah, just exhausted. How are you? I'm exhausted. Um, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm burnt out. I'm just ready for my break. It's that crash and burn. I saw an advert for Expedia yesterday saying you were made for escapism. In other words, the meaning of your life is to get away from it. But that is saying something about the world that we're encountering at the moment. It's just how do I put my fingers in my ears and pretend it's not happening? So we binge watch, we grab the glass of wine, we beat our bodies into submission because it's the one thing in our world that we can control, whatever it is, just to try and get the relentless music to stop for a minute. And you'll not be surprised that we can easily go back to Genesis. There was chaos there, there was crisis, God speaks order, but he invites us to partner. So what we're seeing in participation is the invitation to partner. It is chaotic out there. We're not denying that. It is in crisis out there. But that's what makes this arguably this incredibly missional moment. It's deeply challenging, but it's also incredibly exciting time to be engaging. And so we are invited to play our part, to engage, to do something, um, even as the rules of the game keep shifting. And so the God story is reminding us of the power and the freedom that we have been given right there in Genesis as human beings to participate in the chaos as people who bring order, to participate in the emptiness of life, to bring life, to partner with a generous and active God who gifts us with this Holy Spirit and with power in these moments, he is the giver of the gifts. He says this, go and sends us out and to invite others into the rest that we find in God, to invite us into different practices. So we're absolutely given a purpose and we are to steward and to cultivate creation. We are given work to do. We are given things to do. We are doers as well, but it's always in participation with the giver of the good gifts that we have in these moments. And that just 
invites us into such a relief space where we're invited to rest, that we see a picture of a God who stops even when there's still work to be done. There is an invitation to say that it isn't all on us, that if we misstep, if we make a mistake, the world is not going to collapse around us because God is good and God is generous. Uh, We're invited into a world where God is in control and therefore we can trust him and use our power accordingly. And we can also say, I can be I can give myself over to this space because I trust that what I'm giving myself to is going to be for my benefit, for my loved one's benefit, for the world's benefit, because God is good. There's such a gift around participating in a kingdom where the Lord of Lords is sovereign, as opposed to this chaotic one misstep and the whole world's going to go up in flames. Everyone is uh, walking on eggshells. The The ice is about to crack. Actually, in Jesus, the new humanity has peace and certainty. And there is hope, hope at the end of a journey that says, in the end, all shall be well. Yeah, I think that's the, isn't it? The king and his kingdom where he lays down his power and, and the hope is such a necessary thing in the chaos. That's one of the things we absolutely want to be talking about. To be human is to participate. It is to make a difference, a hopeful dis- difference. We are merchants of holy hope and we are to use the freedom and the power and the purpose we are being given by God in that way. And with that, we have in hugely summarized form looked at the four aspects of the lens that we're going to be unpacking. And um, we're going to kind of bring things into land. We've got a couple of things we want to say in conclusion, then just signpost what we're doing next. Because if we were to summarize that and bring that all together, I mean, fundamentally, we're asking the question like, what's wrong with the world and what's the solution? Yeah. And the what's wrong with the world is look, if being human is to be made in the image of God. And we deny there is a God in whose image we are made. That, that's a huge problem. To deny God is to dehumanize. And people are feeling that. And so I think there's an openness to these questions. So the problem is in denying God, we're dehumanizing ourselves and others. And the solution is the being human lens, sort of. <laughs> no, the solution is we are looking at a kind of a new apologetic, a new way of engaging. The, the new question that people are asking is versions of what does it mean to be human? And actually the God story has vast amounts to say for that. Yeah. And I think that's our invitation. Our invitation is to look at some of the stories that we're encountering, whether they're in our conversations with our friends, whether it's in the news feeds, whether it's through the novels or the box sets or the political conversations that we're a part of and say, actually, what is this storyline saying about my significance? What is this storyline saying about how we are connected and how I view the relationships that I am part of? What is this storyline saying about how I view my body, my sense of place, my sense of time? How is this storyline affecting my participation in and for the world and the responsibility it's placing on me or on others? Actually, all of these storylines bubble up with an idea about what it says about our humanity, whether in terms of our significance, connection, presence or participation. And we would love to invite you to join us as we try and see, try and see what the world is painting and whether or not we have a story that speaks into those shared human traits of asking the questions about who we are and why we are here and find a truer, fuller more beautiful story as told through the pages of the Bible. So we've sat down with some friends, some interviews are coming. 
This is the end of the two of us for now. <laughs> You've had enough of us chatting and we've loved exploring with them just the bigger themes. This is like the big ideas, the significance connection, presence, participation, people we thought would have an interest in that and we are chatting with them. We'll touch base with you during this. You'll probably hear more from us to come, but we are really excited. Joe, where can people find out more and remind us what we need to do as we finish? Okay, so obviously, please like, share, rate us on your podcast platform of choice. You can find all of the information about the Being Human Project on beinghumanproject.co.uk. You can find out about the book that's coming out in October. That's available for pre-orders on Amazon, but you can also find more about that on the website. You'll be able to find out about some of the video series content that we've got coming out. Loads of stuff, loads of content, loads of conversations, but ultimately... Just come on the journey with us. It is amazing to hear these thinkers, authors, activists, um, and general all-round good bodies sharing in so much of this intuitive language around what it means to be human, to share in God's significance, to share in his likeness, to manifest his character out into the world. We've loved chatting with some of the people. We've got more interviews to come. So come on the journey with us. But until next time, take care and God bless.